This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. We're, we're connected more than any man or woman could be connected, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you and I, we've not met. Most of us haven't met until today, but we are brothers and sisters of the Most High God. And I'm thankful this morning to have the opportunity to meet with you. Uh, ben and Lana, appreciate the invitation from them. And he told me some of the story about the way this congregation came to be. And uh, I'm going to tell you how exciting that is for just somebody from Tennessee to hear the story about this congregation and the work that you're doing, the work that you've done, and the work that you're going to do. And it is a, a breath of fresh air to somebody like me, and I'm thankful this morning to have this opportunity just to be with you, brethren. And you encourage me this morning by the things that you've done and the things you're doing, and I thank you for that this morning from the bottom of my heart. I want to tell you that there's nothing in the world like the church. I want you to think of a world that you didn't have the church, that you didn't have a Savior, that you didn't have brothers and sisters in Christ to lean on. Where would you be? I tell you what, I can't imagine where I would be without that. There's probably a word we could use for that, to be without that, to be without the presence of God, to be without the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ, and that word would probably be hell. That's what it's going to be, the presence without those things. So this morning we take this dear opportunity to meet together in the name of our Savior, to worship our God, to sing these songs, to look at His Word, and see what His Word has to tell us this morning. And I hope that the things that we study this morning be beneficial to you, to edify you, build you up, and that we'd all be better off from hearing the Word of God this morning. Um, title this morning of the lesson is Faith versus Fear. And this is a topic that uh, I've really thought a lot about in the last couple of years with the things that's been going on in the world that we live in. I think it's a very relevant topic. I think it's a topic that we need to talk about and understand our place in the world, what we've been given by the church. I want you to understand this morning that there's a battle that's been raging from the beginning of time, from the Garden of Eden, and it's the greatest battle that the, that the world has ever had to experience. There have been great wars in the world, but there's nothing like this one because this is a spiritual war. This is for all the marbles, all right? Countries, civilizations, they rise and fall, but this one's the one that matters, and it's the battle that's been going on since then. It's still going on today, and it will continue to rage on to the end of time, and it's the battle of good and evil. And there's no gray area. There's no sidelines. You're either on one side this morning or you're on the other side. That's all there is to it. And to think about this battle that's raging, we have to understand what side, what, what the different sides look like and what they're composed of. And I want you to think of this morning the nature of God. And we're talking about the good side, the side that we want to be on, the victorious side, the side that's going to ultimately win in the end and the only place where there's safety and hope and joy is in the side that, that the Lord is on. I want you to think of what God's nature is this morning. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth knoweth, uh, excuse me, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. I think it's very odd that people call Christians a very unloving people, they say that we, we're not tolerant enough, that we don't love, that we should just love everybody. 
I tell you what, you know, I want, I, I want to love everybody, but I don't have to love your sin. I don't have to love the things that you do. I love you in spite of those things, and I want you to come to know the Lord, but just because I don't tolerate sin doesn't mean I don't love you. God is love. These people that live in sinful relationships and they say that they have love and, and, and they shun Christianity, yet they want to live inside of a relationship they say that there's love in, it's kind of a hypocrisy. Because without God, there is no love in the world. God is love. I want you to think about the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I want to read this just a little bit differently the way it's written, and we're going to substitute the word charity in 1 Corinthians 13 with God. I want you to see how it reads. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not God, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not God, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not God, it profiteth me nothing. God suffereth long. God is kind. God envieth not. God bondeth not itself. God is not puffed up. God does not behave itself unseemly. God seeks not his own. It's not easy. God's not easily provoked. God thinketh no evil. God does not rejoice in iniquity, but God rejoices in the truth. Now give me a little liberty. We have to change some things in verse 7, but go down to verse 8 there. God never faileth. And whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Don't you see how clearly the scripture is written when we substitute God in for the, the word love in that passage, how well it works out. All those things are true because God is love. And in the, in the world, there is no love without him. It all starts and ends with him. He is a loving God. He is a caring God. He is a God that has committed the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen, nor ever will see, when he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross. There's nothing more that God can do today to convince you that he loves you than what he's already done. I want to tell you a quick story. When Ada Pearl was born six years ago, it, you know, marriage is the greatest thing in the world until you have kids, and then that's the greatest thing that there ever was. And that you hear all those cliches, and all the parents in here have heard those cliches. You don't know love until you have children, you know? Uh, you, you won't understand, you know, the great love until you have these precious things that belong to you that are yours and made up of you. You just won't understand that. And you young people in here, I'm telling you, all those cliches are true. And, and, I, and you're hearing me say that this morning, but you don't get it. And you won't get it until it happens, God willing. But we were at the hospital with Ada Pearl. She was born maybe, I guess, that day or the day before. And a brother from the congregation come up to be with us and, you know, celebrate with us Ada Pearl's birth. And, and there I am, you know, we're standing over there by the window. And he's holding Ada Pearl in his arms. And she's about, you know, less than a day old. And, and we're looking at her. And he says, can you give her up for the sins of the world? Could you nail that baby to a cross? for the sins and all the filth of the whole world? And that's an easy answer. No. I wouldn't give up my baby's life for the soul of any man. 
we say that we understand agape love and, and what that is and what that means, the type of love that God has for us. But, brethren, we can't even start to understand the depths of the love of God because <laughs> I couldn't do that. But he did. What a great God that we serve today that he would do that. I went to the funeral one time of a friend of mine. He had, they, they had a miscarriage, and that child was about six months old in the womb, and it passed away. And, and they had a funeral for that child. And they had this awfulest thing you ever saw, this little bitty old casket sitting out there at the cemetery. And I thought, God, why, why little Preston? Why not me? I've the one, I've sinned. I've run around here doing all these horrible things. Why not me? Why this child? And I'm going to tell you what, friends, as heartbreaking as things like that is to us, that's exactly what it looked like when Jesus was hung on the cross. Innocence hung on the cross. As, as sinless and as pure as a newborn child, Jesus hung on the cross guilty of nothing. That is the incredible love that God has had for you and I so you and I could come to salvation. And we cannot gloss over that this morning, the great love that's been poured out for you and I to have the opportunity to be taken out of our sin, washed clean, and put into His righteousness and been promised a home with Him in glory. But there's another side in the world. This side, there is no love in. There's no love in. I want you to think about what we see in Genesis chapter 3 this morning, the first time that we see Satan uh, mentioned in the Scripture. And I'm going to tell you what, this right here tells you a lot about, uh, just about all that you need to know about the devil. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The devil this morning, I'm going to tell you what, he's subtle. You need to know that about the devil this morning. He's subtle. Now the world has projected this image of the devil as being a red character with horns and a pitchfork and a bifurcated tail. I'm going to tell you what, the devil doesn't look anything like that. If you were to see some character like that, dressed in red, horns, pitchfork, bifurcated tail, and it passed you on the sidewalk, You'd say, whoa, that looks scary. That looks strange. And you would immediately find caution in that. You would try to stay away from that, like a lot of other things I've seen walking the sidewalks here recently. <laughs> but the devil don't come to you in this ugly demeanor. He don't come to you and, and growl at you and show his teeth at you. That's not the devil's ploy. The devil comes on, he comes in very gently, very softly. He comes in where you don't have any caution about it. And he shows you things that bring pleasure to man. And he puts them in a way, he's been doing this for a long time, though, devil. He was, I guess, pretty good at it from the beginning. It worked. But the devil, he wants to find ways to trick you and to trap you into getting you to do what he wants you to do. He wants to steal you away from God. And he does it very subtly. So let's not say things that are evil or are, are just, just things that are very 
easily seen and, and very, you know, familiar. That that looks evil. Reco you know, we recognize that very quickly. That's not the way the devil always works. He's very subtle in the things he does. Sometimes he just takes just a little bit at a time. That's what he does. And he said unto the woman, Yea, have God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the servant, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, he sh You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the days ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be in God's knowing good and evil. Now he didn't start telling her, Hey, this is going to destroy you. This is going to take you out of the garden. This is going to take out the relationship that you, no, no, no. Just told a little lie. Oh, you won't die. You won't die. He didn't, he didn't say he snarled his teeth at her. Didn't mean that you know, wrapped her, you know, like a, like a boa constrictor wrapped around her and squeezed her until she gave in. No, that's not his nature. He's very subtle. He let her make the decision. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and it gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of both them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice of the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid, hid myself. I don't know exactly what the relationship was like between God and man. We know that it was perfect, that there was nothing that came between God and man up to this point in time. Uh, I don't know if he, he came down, he was present, visible to, to Adam or not. I don't know all those details. Not real smart enough to know those kind of things. Don't want to uh, try to interject uh, uh, scripture when I don't have clear uh, clear line of sight on it. But I'm going to tell you what, there was a perfect relationship between them. And I can't imagine being able to, to walk and talk with God like that in the garden to have that un, uh, unbridled relationship that there was nothing that was impeding the relationship in the least. And, and I'm going to tell you what sin did. Sin caused man to fear God, to be afraid. Adam said that he was, why did you hide yourself? Because I was afraid. I'm going to tell you this morning, we started off talking about this battle of faith versus fear. We're going to get into that that battle here in just a moment. But faith is the absence of fear, and fear is the absence of faith. Now, very likely here that Adam was walking by sight as well. Perhaps he saw God. But there was a fear that came into man when sin entered into the world. There was something that polluted the relationship that man and God had that had not been there before. And he said, and he told who that, uh, continuing on verse 11, and he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Now, he's going to ask some questions here. He looks at Adam, he asks her a question. And Adam, you know, being the big man that he is, he said, She made me do it. Pass the buck on. She made me do it, big boy. Yeah, Adam, big man. And the Lord God said to the woman, asked her a question, What is this that thou hast done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did it. Adam, uh, Eve, what would you do? He made me do it, pointed to the serpent. 
Let's shrug our responsibility of our own actions. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, he did not ask the serpent a question. He said, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now we see a picture here, a glorious picture. The first time, Genesis 3, that Jesus Christ is mentioned here that he's coming. The prophecy that the Son of God would come. Not so many words, but you see this picture of this snake here. And you, you'll see, you know, me, I don't like snakes. So I try to kill everyone I see. And so we got this snake here. And if I saw that snake, I would take my heel and just as hard as I could, boy, I'd stomp that snake right in the noggin. I'd try to take him out. And you know what? I'd kill that snake. I ain't met a snake I couldn't kill yet. I'd kill that snake if I could do that. You know what? If, if I put enough force on it, I'd weigh a lot of, a lot of pounds. If you noticed, and if I put a lot of weight on my heel, my heel is just a heel. It's like yours, and it'll hurt, and it'll hurt my heel if I do that hard enough. And you know, when that time came, yes, it bruised Jesus when he died on the cross, but it didn't kill him. It didn't kill him forever. He died, but he was resurrected. It bruised his heel, but you know what? Satan's power was taken away once the Lamb of God was laid on the altar and that perfect sacrifice was made. His power was done. Death died spiritually. You and I now have an opportunity that, yes, our, our heel may be bruised. We're going to die one of these days. But you know what? That's not the end. That's not death having victory over us. It's just the next step that we're going to take in a fleshly body that's meant to, to not last forever now anyway. It's good news. And Satan, once we're taken out of the grasp of Satan, put into the fold of the Lord, we win. He loses. And that's the battle that, we're gonna, that we face every day. That's, what, that's why it's so important that we go out and we try to win the souls of men because this is the war that we fight. And all of us are in it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. It's his nature. Now, he don't look, you know, I don't remember that cartoon's name, but there was a cartoon where there was a sheepdog and there was a, a coyote or some kind of wolf that always tried to get in sheep. And that sheepdog, you know, he'd check in, check out. I don't know. Some of y'all that are a little older than me may remember that cartoon. But, you know, that, that wolf would try every which way in the world. Sometimes he dressed like sheep. Sometimes he'd come in this. Sometimes he'd dig holes and whatnot. But he was always after that sheep. And that's the devil. He's always after us. You know evil never stops. In this world, evil is evil continually and it's pushing us continually. And that's why we as the church, we have to work continually because our adversary is doing the same thing. And we've got to outwork that adversary. Now the word devil here, we don't use this word a whole lot, but that word is translated as or defined as traducer. That's not a word that we use much. I want to tell you what that word means. It means one who attacks the reputation of another by slander or libel, backbiter, defamer, libel or maligner, slander, vilifier, depreciator, detractor, disparager, one who disparages or belittles the worth of something. You know what the devil did in the garden? He took what God said, he took God's word, and he said, don't put a lot of stock in that. That's not valuable. That's what we understand. I'm, I, part of what my job is is I'm a certified appraiser. And that's what happens when you 
when you take something and you take value away from it, you depreciate it. Now, you can also appreciate things. That's another sermon some other day. But what he does is takes God's word, God's commands, God's laws, and he depreciates them. He says they're not worth anything. That's what he did to Eve. He said, oh, don't listen to him. And he took and depreciated. And he does that in everything that God says. Everything God says, the devil comes back right against it and says, that's not so. That's not the way it is, and it's not important. John 8, 44, the Bible says, Year of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. I'm going to tell you what, there is zero truth in the devil today. Where does truth come from? It comes from God, right? You see the parallel here? You see the two sides? They're very clear. God is a creator. The devil is a destroyer. God is good. Satan is evil. God is love. Satan is envy. God is truth. The devil is a liar. God is righteousness. The devil is unrighteousness. God is salvation. The devil is damnation. God is light. Satan is darkness. And God is a faith. And the devil is a fear. Could it be any clearer to you this morning, brethren, how different the two sides are, the two sides of this war that rages on? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, the Bible says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Above all, take this shield of faith. And how many darts does it knock out? How many defense, uh, defenses uh, can it provide? It can take out all the darts. If you'll believe in God, you'll put your trust in him, that you'll take that faith and let it lead you to true obedience, there's nothing that can keep you away from your God. That's a happy thing. To know that, you know, it's not that hard. I don't have to do something miraculous. I don't have to do something somebody else can't do. Brethren, the Lord has given us the ability and, the, and, and we have to have the willingness to do those things that God has talked about. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Now, I want you to see a couple examples of this, how this plays out in, in the Scripture and how it plays out in our life. In Matthew chapter 14, here Peter walking on the water for a minute. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for what? Fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Get rid of that fear. It's me. Have faith in me. Don't be afraid of me. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come out onto the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down to the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was what? Afraid. What is fear? Fear is the absence of faith. And, the begin, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little what? Faith. Wherefore didst thou doubt? You know, that's us a lot. Of, that's me in a lot of days. You know, walking by faith, walking by faith. Yes, yes, yes. I see Jesus. We're in the middle of the storm. And Jesus, if that's you, bid me to come. And I come and I'm walking on the water. G uh, Peter actually took steps on the water. And then all of a sudden, what did Peter do? He quit looking at the Lord, and he looked at the storm. What did he do? He took his eyes off Jesus. He let something else distract him. He let something else gain his attention. 
And what did it do for him? He sank. When he took his eyes off the Lord and put it on the storm, he began to fear and he began to sink. And brethren, that is case and point for our lives. When you take your eyes off the Lord, don't be surprised when you start to sink. It's going to happen. So what do we need to do? We need to increase our faith. We need to step away from fear. You're in predicaments. I'm in predicaments. We get in those things all the time, some worse than others. But brethren, the case in point is still the same, that we have to walk by faith. We have to be strengthened in this faith. And we can't let fear rule our lives as Christians. Matthew chapter 21, verse 19, when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came into it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee, henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said to them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. Jesus said, if you'll not fear, if you'll just have faith, big things will happen. There's more scripture, more context. I don't have time to get into that today on this particular passage and others. But I'm going to tell you what, it's amazing what faith can accomplish if we let faith reign. If we strengthen our faith. If we not take our eyes off the Lord and we follow Him. And listen to this. In all things, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. How often do we pray and we, we feel like we're throwing up a Hail Mary? How often do we pray and we don't think about those words that we say piercing the ear of God and He hearing those things and our request be made known to Him? I tell you what, brethren, if we can't pray in faith, if we can't pray believing that the Lord hears those things and, is in, uh, and has interest in what we have to say to the Father, we ought not pray. If you can't pray with faith, what good is it? It's no good. Coming to God and, and Lord, I don't know if you can or not, and just throwing it up to him, like throwing spaghetti on a wall and seeing what sticks, that's not faith. The Lord wants us to come to him believing. He says if we come to him believing, now he's not going to answer every don't go, don't go to the Lord and tell him exactly what you want. Our job is to tell the Lord the problem and let him find the solution. You and I just ain't quite smart enough to figure out the solutions of the problems that we have to endure, are we? If I was that smart, I wouldn't need God. But the more I find how ignorant I really am, the more I figure out how much I need the Lord and how I need to take those things and just lay it at his feet. Believing that he is going to take care of whatever it is I need taken care of. But brethren, we have to come and ask that prayer of faith. Believing that he can do those things that we ask. And really the text this morning, 2 Timothy 1 and 7. The Bible says, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if God has not given us a spirit of fear, where does fear come from? It comes from the devil. 
That's the only other place it can come from. If it doesn't come from God, it comes from the devil. And what the devil wants to do is make us a very scared people and a very faithless people. That's his job. And people are afraid of a lot of things in this world. He uses the fear of poverty against us. He uses the fear of criticism, the fear of ill health, the fear of loss of love, the fear of old age, the fear of death. Now, of all those things right there, click back through, of all those things there, I think he uses the first and the last one the most. I think those are some of his most powerful weapons that he uses against mankind, this fear of poverty and this fear of death. And neither are something a Christian ought to have to worry about. It shouldn't be something that, that keeps us up at night because we can have faith today to know the Lord sees these things and he is over these things and he will take care. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. Let's talk about this fear of poverty for a moment. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body. What you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body more than uh, body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto, your, unto his stature? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Brethren, I understand we've got a job to do. And, and really, you know, us men, it's just in us to be providers for our family. God has put that into us to be providers. And I don't, don't mind a woman working what, whatsoever. But you and I, we have this in us. To, to make sure we have plenty of food and plenty of clothes. I get it. But brethren, if we take that to the nth degree and we say, you know what, I've just got to work all the time. I've just got to make sure my family's got plenty. I just don't have time to do this. I don't have time to go to church because I've got to work and I've got to provide for my family. I don't have time to study the Bible because I've got to work and provide for my family. I don't have time to study a lesson to, to give it to the church. I've got to work and provide for my family. But I tell you what, if you're that worried about work and providing your family, you have forgotten this scripture. Don't you know that he's going to take care of you? Do you think sparrows are just something really special in the eyes of God? Do you think... Lilies of the field are just something special and precious in the eyes of God, more precious and special than you and I that were created in his image are. You don't think that. You don't think that at all. You know that you're made in God's image. You know that you're God's priority. God didn't send Jesus to die for birds. He didn't send him to die for lilies of the field. He sent him to die for you and I. Don't you think he'll take care of you? Listen to what he says. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. He knows. He knows you need to eat. He knows you need to feed your family. He knows you need to be clothed. He knows. So what do we do? He says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness and all these things, all these things about food and clothing and raiment, all these things will be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take care of the thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, brethren. Here's what we need to do. You know your number one priority in life? You need to seek first the kingdom of God. That's your priority. That's your priority. Now the devil's going to try to get you to not do that. He's going to try to get you to worry about food and raiment. He's going to say, you know what, you just need to work a little bit harder. Have you heard of inflation? You're going to have to work harder. You're going to have to take away time from holy things to take care of these worldly things. Don't you let that family get hungry. Tell you what, I don't care. Inflation reached 5,000%. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you'll do that, if we believe what the scripture says by faith, all these other things will be added to you. You'll be okay. Poverty shouldn't scare us, brethren. Being without all these niceties of life shouldn't scare us, brethren. What if you have to drive an old jalopy? What if you have to downsize your house? What if you have to go to Goodwill and get your... What? Who cares? Who cares? As long as you have and you're serving the Lord, brethren, your life on this earth is short. Who cares? I tell you what, I'd rather reign in heaven with the king of kings for eternity than try to impress somebody for 70, 80 years on this earth. If I waste my, my time here on this earth trying to be somebody in 70 or 80 years, I've missed it. I've let the fear win. I've let the devil win if I decide to do that. Don't be afraid when times get hard. Times may get real hard, but don't fear. Know the Lord has you in his hand. He has control. He sees you. He knows. Don't abandon the Lord when times get hard. I love this. I love this. Psalm 37, 25. David says, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Man. I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. But I don't know what inflation's going to do. I don't have to care. I don't have to watch the news and get in a big tizzy. Because you know what? If I'm in his righteousness, if I'm covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, I will not be forsaken. And I'll not have to beg for bread. I'll go to Ben and Lana's house. I'll go to David's house or his camper. Wherever you're staying now, David. Wherever David's at, I'll go find him and get a sandwich. I don't have to worry about these things, brethren. Don't you let the fear of poverty get you. It's a lie. It's a big lie the devil tells. What about the fear of death? People don't like to die. Somebody said, who wants to live to be 100 years old? I'll tell you who, the guy that's 99. That's who wants to live to be 100. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is a victory. Death is crossing the finish line. I remember thinking about my, my great-grandfather. If you've never, 
Maybe you've seen people pass away, been in the presence of somebody passing away. When I saw my great-grandfather pass away, I was at his bedside. I stand at the foot of his bed, family gathered around his bed, his wife of 55, 60 years, I can't remember now, laying there beside him. And we had a nurse in there at his home, and she was checking his pulse, and she said, he's gone. And my great-grandmother, who'd been married all those years, you know, of course, broke her heart. You know, she, she fell over on top of him, you know, weeping. But I thought, you know, that's such a spiritual moment because one second he was here and the next millisecond his spirit had left his body and he had accomplished what he lived his whole life for. Just a boat. He went from pain to glory just like that. He won. Death is a victory. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Every second I have to live in this mortal flesh is one second I don't get to be with my Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body than be present with the Lord. Brethren, we've got a job to do while we're here. We need to come into faith. We need to get right. We need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. But there's coming a day that we're going to leave this flesh behind and we're going to be present with the Lord. Can you imagine that? I'm going to see Jesus. Can't imagine. Can't imagine. The Bible says that eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that the Lord has prepared for them that love him. Can't imagine, can't imagine what that's going to be like to see my Lord. If I'll run and, and jump in his arms like a, like a, a, a hold, like holding a child, if I'll curl up in his arms and he'll hold me, I'm finally home. I'll fall down at his feet and I'll worship him, the King of Kings, my Savior, the one who never left me or forsake me, the one who died for me, the one who gave his life for mine. Oh, what a day. What a day that'll be, brethren. We as Christians, hey, I'm not asking you to go out and jump in front of a bus. But don't be afraid of death. It's natural. And it's an opportunity to be with the Lord. 2 Timothy 4 and 6 and 8, Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered in the time my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the what? Faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not to me only but to them also that love his appearing. Brethren, you ought to love his appearing. If the Lord come back today, would it make you run and hide? Would it make you ask for a second chance? Would you like a do-over? There's going to be no do-overs. The time to get right is now, brethren. The time to get right is while you have time and breath today to come into him with faith and obedience. Now he said there, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love, a sound mind. Talk about these things. This spirit of power this morning. I think one of those things that has to do with the spirit of power this morning that he has given you and I. Now remember, God didn't give us the fear, but he did give us these things. Power being one of them. He's given you the power to change and to choose. And if he gives you the power to choose, then he has to give you the power to change. This morning, Deuteronomy 30 and 15, 
he talks to the children of Israel here, see I've set before you this day life and good and death and evil. And in that command thee this day uh, uh, to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgment, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whether thou goest to possess it. But if in thy heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou go to possess it over, uh, over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death. He's given a choice to his people, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. He begs his people here, choose life. Don't choose this other path of worshiping other gods and turn away from me. Have faith in me. Believe in me. Choose life that both thou and thy seed shall live that thou mayest love the Lord thy God that thou mayest obey his voice and thou mayest cleave unto him for, uh, for he is thy life in the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob to give them. Brethren, I'm going to tell you what the greatest thing that God has done for us is given us this free will that we can choose. It wouldn't be love. It wouldn't be true love if we couldn't choose which side we want to be on. If he came down and constrained us and said, you're going to serve me no matter what, that wouldn't be love. If I told my wife, you're going to love me. You're going to do this for me. You're going to serve me. That wouldn't be love. My wife does things for me because I love her and I show her that I love her and she reciprocates that service back to me. Not that I think my wife was servant lazy. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to misspeak. This may be my last time here, Ben. Uh, but but love is shown, and love is reciprocated when that person chooses to reciprocate or chooses to love. Brethren, we have a choice today. We need to choose God because the the alternative isn't pleasant. The alternative doesn't lead to life. It leads to death. It leads to death not only for us, but it will lead to death for generations to come. A brother back home says, we're only one generation. You're only one generation away from healing. If I decide, I've, I've had a pretty good family up until now, and what if I decide I just want to be a heathen? My kids may be a heathen. Their kids may be a heathen. We've got to be careful. This is important. We've got to live a life that's worthy because there's another generation. We want them to be walking in the light. And we want their children to walk in the light. It's important that we do these things, that we choose life. And it's truly our choice. He's given us a spirit of love, brethren. 1 John chapter 4 and 18, for there is no fear in love. There's no fear there. There's nothing to be afraid of in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now granted, there's times that we need to weep. There's times that we need to worry. We need to weep over the lost. We need to weep over those that are undone without God. I'm going to tell you what, if we're living a life of fear, we're living a life that is absent from the love of God because love casts out fear. You shouldn't have any more sleepless nights than you, should, than you have to. Because we ought to have enough understanding and wisdom about us that whatever's bothering us, whatever fears we have, we come to the Father, we lay those things at his feet, and we let him have them. 
And sometimes silly us, silly me. Sometimes I lay things at the feet of God and then a few days later I try to go and see if I can pick them back up and carry the burden again. How ignorant is that? We ought not do things like that. But we ought to let this spirit of love that God has given us cast out that fear knowing that we've been made in the image of love. We were made in God's image. God is love. We've been made in the image of love. That's our character. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, he says, Let love be without dissimulation. Let love be sincere. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Brethren, we ought to do those things to one another so nobody has to question our love for each other. We ought not to have anybody that we have to worry about, be suspicious of. We ought to have good motives about the things we do with our brethren. We ought to show our love constantly by the things Ben has talked about, uh, about some things that's happened in this congregation, and you've seen the church pour out that love to people, and people see that, and it's a difference maker to the work that you're trying to do when people see that kind of love, because it's not everywhere. It's not in every church. But you, if you're going to follow after truth, you need to do these things to show your love to the world. He's given us a spirit of a sound mind. He's given us an ability to discern. He's not made dumb creatures. He made creatures make good decisions. You know, uh, back home, and I assume up here, maybe the same thing, kind of typical hills and hollers, uh, there used to be a lot of snake handling churches. Y'all have any of those, David? Snake handling churches. Well, see, they're not as prevalent as they used to. You'd be surprised by that because, uh, I don't know, maybe they got snake bit. Uh, it's a good reason why they might not be around. Or people don't like snakes. But, you know, people used to, and I know in Tennessee they had these snake handling churches, and they take a passage of scripture about, you know, a, a venomous serpent biting you and you shall not die. And they take that and mean that, you know, in today's age, which doesn't apply. But nevertheless, they would handle these serpents. And, you know, sometimes they handle a serpent, and I, I heard what they did. They, they'd feed them. They'd feed them two or three days before the service, you know, several mice. And so they didn't get hungry on Sunday, so they wouldn't bite. That's the secret to it. But anyway, people didn't know that. So they'd handle these serpents, and sometimes they wouldn't bite nobody. But if they did bite somebody, well, he didn't have the faith. It's kind of like the Salem witch trials. They, you know, oh, she's a witch. Well, throw her in the river. And if she fell in the river and she swam out, well, she's a witch. And they hung her. And uh, if she drowned, well, maybe she wasn't a witch after all. Uh, it's kind of that theory. So my point being, God has given us this discernment. I don't have to handle snakes. We went through a pandemic. I guess we're still in it. COVID's still around. You know, God has given you enough sense not to lick doorknobs, okay? You don't have to have a doorknob licking faith to serve the Lord and be pleasing to him. God has given you better sense than that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Brethren, there's nothing that comes in your life that you can't get out of. That would be, that'd be such a mean trick of God to put some temptation in your way that you couldn't escape from, wouldn't it? Would that be loving? Now, this is the God of love. There's nothing that in this world that you're going to come up against. Now, it's going to seem tough sometimes. Don't get me wrong. Tough times come. Persecution came to the church. Okay? That's going to happen. But there's nothing that's going to happen that God's not going to make a way. And that God can't make a way. 
There's no place in this earth that he cannot reach, that he cannot see. There's nothing hidden from him. If there's nothing hidden from him, you're in good hands. I'm in good hands. But you and I have to take the things that the Lord has given us. He's told us all things that we need. I don't believe he's held anything back from us. But he's given us these things that we can discern the situations we get in and we can find our way of escape. That's some of the blessings that the Lord has given us. Matthew chapter 25, verse 22. We're not going to read the total passage, but you know this is the parable of the talents. One had five, one had two, one had one. We're not going to read about the one with the five. We're going to start with the two. The principle is still the same. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. <clears throat> His Lord said to him, <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Do you see that? He called him a faithful servant, a servant full of faith. What about the guy that had one? Then he which received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was what? Afraid. He was afraid. Was he a faithful servant? Was he a servant full of faith? No, he was a servant full of fear. And I went and hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, there thou hast that is thine. you see how clear it is today, brethren? You and I are one of these servants. I don't have any talents you've got. I don't have any talents I've got. I've got talents. You've got talents. And the Lord is going to judge us one day based on what the talents that he gave us. If we were a faithful servant, if we took those things that God gave and we multiplied those things and we did those things that he required of us, he's going to count us as a faithful servant. But if you and I, we squander. We take the talent that he gave us and we lived in fear and we did nothing with the talent that God gave us. He is going to shun us and cast us out. Do you see his attitude here towards the faithful? Do you see his attitude here towards the fearful? It's black and white. It's either one way or the other. We're either going to live as faithful servants or we're going to live as fearful servants. Brethren, let's choose faith. Let's choose to trust him. Take him at his word. Let that faith come inside of us and let it burn like a fire. That faith comes inside of us, things are going to come out of us. Obedience is going to come out of us. Good works is going to come out of us. Those things that he requires. So I ask you this morning, brethren, as we close, I ask you, let faith win this morning. When those troubles come in your life, don't let the fear get the best of you. Let faith win. He says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what men shall do unto me. I'm going to live by faith knowing that I serve one who's not going to leave me or forsake me. I've got nothing to be afraid of. If God be for us, who can be against us? Isaiah 41 and 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. 
Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Got one more, Ben. Ben, I need tech support. Where you at? I got it. I got it. There we go. All right. Hit the last button. I could have left that. There you go. All right. Lastly, brethren, Psalm 34 and 4. The Bible says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from my fears. Brethren, let's seek the Lord. Let's follow after him. Let's stay in his word. Let's stay in the path of righteousness. Let's not be... Listen, there's a lot of stuff out there the devil's trying to throw at every one of us. Let's not fall victim to that stuff. Let's not be a fearful people. Let's be a people with a, living a life free of fear, but present of the power that God has given you and I. That power is to choose and to change. Whatever thing we need to change in our life, God has given you the power to do that. He's given you the power to love. and He's given you the power of a sound mind that you may discern those things that you need that you can figure out how to get in this life and get back out safely. Brethren, this is an opportunity for us to commit ourselves, to flee those things that the devil has for us, and to hold on to those things the Lord would have us to do. Brethren, I applaud you for the work that you're doing here. God bless you for that work. But I tell you, there's still a lot of work to do. There's still souls out there that need saving. There's still souls out there that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ to come to faith and be removed from their fear. So brethren, let's do that work. Let's show God that we trust in him, that we believe in him by the way we live our life. And let's be a, a people of conviction that we have the greatest news that the world has ever told. We, we have the greatest love story that the world has ever heard. And let's go out and share that story. Let's go out and tell that news. Starts at home. Starts with our family. Share that with your family. Share that with the people you come in contact with. When you go to the bank, don't just see a line of tellers, but I want you to see a line of souls sitting there. They all need saving. When you go to kids' ball games, I want you to see just kids running down the field. I want you to see souls out there that need saving. When you go in Walmart and you see that teller, if you don't go to the self-checkout, but that if you go to the self-checkout, that one that checks you out still needs saving. But if you go through the checkout line, there's somebody standing behind there. That soul needs saving too. I want you to keep that in mind. Because the church should not be stopped. The church, God's church will not be stopped in the mission. But it starts with you and I. It starts with us being honest with ourselves, looking at our life, and if we need to make change in our own life, we start there. So I pray this morning we're going to offer an invitation. If you look at your life and you say, you know what, I've not been as faithful as I need to be. And there's been times that I've let fear win. And I've let the fear get the best of me. And there's been things that I should have laid at the feet of God, but I held on to them and tried to, to manage the burden myself. I'm going to tell you what, there's a room of people here that don't want you to do that. There's a God in heaven that don't want you to do that. Brethren, if there's a change in your life that needs to be made, I pray you make it. If there's something that you've been holding on to and it's just too heavy for you, I pray you come and bring it to the feet of the cross. I pray you let your brothers and sisters know about that pain, that burden. 
And I pray that you help them, let them help you bear that. That's what we're here for today. We're not here to judge anybody. You're no different than me. I'm no different than you. I live in a different place. I live nine hours away, but I'll tell you what, my struggle is just like yours. And yours is like mine. So this morning, let's open our hearts today. and Let's be honest with ourselves. If the church can do anything, a brother will be here to assist you. Whatever you need, if you need to be baptized into Christ today, change your life, you need the prayers of the church. Come while we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.